Well, let's go ahead and begin. As you're finding your seats, we're going to jump in back in our study of Deuteronomy. This is really part two of what began last week is the, the focus in these two chapters of chapters 12 and 13 deal with right worship. And so as we were looking at chapter 12, most of chapter 12 last week, there's a lot of careful attention that is given to the right place in the right way that you worship the only true God. Praise is due to God and praise is due alone to God. Like God alone is worthy of our praise. And so the Israelites were to think carefully according to the commands of God, how to approach him rightly, where to worship him, how to worship him. So there's a lot of New Testament takeaways for us as the church. Even, I think it'll be helpful even today, we're going to see something that's very important for us to recognize uh, distinction. So if you're thinking like the, the church is distinct from Israel, and if you don't get that, boy, chapter 13 would be problematic, and that's kind of even interesting because there are even our movements today that would seek to adapt much of, of how Israel was to approach God and to, to see that the church is replacing Israel, and so then the church to go, well, um, even nations to go and do likewise uh, with, with Israel. So I think it'd be helpful as we look at chapter 13 um, today. So let me begin in prayer, and then, be, and then we'll start with a little bit of a reminder from last week with a reminder from the beginning of our study, really, in Deuteronomy. And then we'll jump right into the end of chapter 12 and then focus on chapter 13. And then my hope would be to manage the time well so that then at the end, if we're thinking of approaching God rightly and, and as a church, well, how important it would be to think carefully about the person and work of Christ. And so my desire would be to finish in Hebrews chapter 10 today after, after we're done in, in Deuteronomy 13. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you today as we come gathering together as the people of God uh, to make much of you. May our desire be to see you glorified. May we leave here delighting in the truth that has been proclaimed and in the worship that has taken place. And may we leave here better worshipers of you. God, may we give careful attention to your authoritative word today through the worship that takes place. We thank you and praise you for Christ as we think and consider the person and work of Christ and to delight in the fact that we can be in a right relationship with you in light of what Christ has accomplished, the redemption that has been accomplished for our good and for your glory. So, so we, we come before you uh, confidently, not in our own effort. We, we come before you boldly in light of Christ. We, we come through Christ. It's in Christ that we can be brought into a right relationship with you. Uh, so may that be clear today as well. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so early on, when we began this study in Deuteronomy, and there was some introductory comments that were given as um, Ben introduced this book to us, one of, the, one of the facts that was given to us, just to be reminded of in the context of Deuteronomy, is that very soon, uh, as Moses is, is giving them 
this, this book as he's been preaching these sermons, something that is very close at hand, there's two historical events that are about to take place. One of those is that the people are about to enter into the land of Canaan. And so that was really on our minds last week. So we're thinking in chapter 12, this whole idea of right worship, there were going to be changes in what that was going to look like. There's already specifics given in the wandering years, but as they now enter into the land, there are going to be changes to what that right worship looks like. So if you kind of go back in your minds to realize, okay, as Moses is giving this instruction, one of the very important things that is about to take place is that they're going to enter into the land of Canaan. Well, one of the other historical events that, that we were reminded of at the beginning of this book is that very soon Moses is about to die. And so you can hear the concern in the words of Mo as Moses teaches, as he gives these commands of God to the people of God, Moses is going to die. So he's not going to be um, around for, for this. And so there is, there's great concern from Moses. He is their leader. He is their, he's a, he's a prophet of God. We'll even read at the end of Deuteronomy. He is, he is their teacher and there is great concern uh, on the, from Moses on behalf of the people for them giving careful attention to um, what their worship is to look like. And so some of these like hypothetical rebellious activities that he lists in chapters 12 and then even into chapter 13, they end up very much taking place. I mean, so as, as he warns them about what might happen if they don't remove the influence, um, he knows that they are going to be prone to being influenced by, by these un, the, the pagan worship of the Canaanites. And so let's just jump in at the very end of chapter 12, again, with what might appear to be somewhat of an unlikely temptation. But it, in fact, it certainly is not uh, unlikely because I, I want us to even look at a couple of cross-references. The very thing that Moses warns about in 21 through 29 through 31 ends up taking place. And then we'll, we'll jump into chapter 13 after acknowledging this. So chapter 12 of Deuteronomy, verses 29 through 31. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, pause, they're going to be victorious. They are going to conquer these Canaanites. And so you would think there would be no temptation to then be like, you know what? I kind of want to be like these people that we just dominated, that, that the Lord gave us the victory. But what he's saying is when you go in, when you destroy them, when you dispossess, when you dwell in the land, verse 30 says, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them. After they've been destroyed before you and that you do not inquire about their gods saying, how did these nations serve their gods that I also may do the same? What, what, a, what a weird question there to think. They just destroyed them. They just defeated them. And then the question that Moses would say, take care not to be ensnared to ask this question. How did these nations serve their gods? You know, these gods that just proved worthless. These gods that just proved false. These gods that are not real. 
And the question is, how did these nations serve their gods that I also may do the same? And so Moses is so concerned that this is going to be their question. This, he knows this is going to be a temptation. And he is um, warning them not to be uh, influenced. And so how not to be influenced? Well, remove the influence. Purge the false worship. Destroy these nations. So verse 31 says, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. So with that, just want to look at one cross-reference just to painfully observe that this very warning about this hypothetical rebellion ends up being the very thing that would characterize uh, the activity of the Israelites um, thereafter. So go to 2 Kings. You'll see I have three different cross-references. In chapter 16, you're seeing this take place. Um, but I, I want to look at 17 because we can just read through um, just the list of rebellious, idolatrous activity by the people of God, uh, beginning in verse 7. Um, after this speaking to the fall of Israel, verse 7 says, And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods, and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel, and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. And they set up for themselves pillars and asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. If you remember again the language in, in chapter 12, this is, this is what the false worship looked like um, in Canaan prior to entering into the land. And then you're seeing the Israelites replicating it, doing what they did. So worship on high places, worship under every green tree, ungodly activity taking place in these settings. Verse 11, and there they made offerings on all the high places as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets." But they would not listen, but were stubborn as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false, and they followed the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves. And they made an Asherah and they worshiped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him 
to anger. Therefore the Lord was angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah alone. Uh, Judah only. Okay, so they end up doing the things that Moses is so, uh, is so concerned that, he, um, that they're going to do. He, he knows where they're going to be tempted. They, he knows how they're going to be influenced. And the instruction he's giving them is the very commands of God. Uh, and so the, the plea, the commands, the instruction in chapter 12 is worship God rightly. Uh, have nothing to do with the false worship that is characterizing this land as you enter in to possess it. Remove um, the pagan worship, all of those who practice it, and all of the stuff that is used. And so that's the instruction they're given in chapter 12. And so chapter 13 follows right along in line with this of still focused on the right worship. So Deuteronomy chapter 13, after all of this um, careful attention that is given to the right place and the right way to worship the only true God, chapter 13 then jumps in to say that there are going to be influences that must be removed. And so there are three categories of, uh, or, or three, yeah, three groups of people that um, if they are, idolatrous in their influence, then they are to be purged. Uh, and so that's what we're going to see. These three, these three influences would be even religious leaders. So you're going to see false prophets. Uh, anyone who would entice the people of God to worship falsely, they are to be purged. So one category of influence um, if it's idolatrous influence, religious leaders were to be uh, destroyed. The, that would, anyone that would influence them in towards, towards idolatrous worship. So you have religious leaders. Then the second category of people we're going to see would be even if it's a family member who would influence you towards idolatry. So family members were to be removed. And then the last category that we'll see as we walk through chapter 13 is religious leaders, family members, and then if there are neighboring communities, if there are cities um, around you that you hear and you investigate and you find out that in fact false worship is taking place in these neighboring cities, these neighboring cities are to be destroyed in the same way that you would have destroyed the, the Canaanite cities as you entered into the land. And so I read even one commentator that described it as, um, if you act like a Canaanite, you will be treated like a Canaanite in, in regards to worship. So uh, weighty truth here to consider as we walk through chapter 13. So let's look at these three, three groups uh, one at a time. We'll start in verse, uh, 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 1 through 5. And we're seeing here the protocol regarding how to treat, what to do with idolatrous influence. Uh, and first we'll look at the religious leaders even as idolatrous influences. Verse 13. Uh, I'm sorry, I keep saying verse. Chapter 13, verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, 
you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. We'll pause here for a second. I want us to look at verse four in just a minute, but what, what are some observations, interesting, maybe even surprises here to read about the activity of these false prophets, these dreamer of dreams? They're accurate. They're accurate about things that happen. That's right, what they, what they say with their words the, the signs and wonders might even come to pass. When you're seeing these guys might arise among you, they're going to give you signs, they're going to do wonders, and these signed or, signs or wonders come to pass. But what is it that's going to be the ultimate test about whether or not these are true prophets of God or if they are in fact false teachers? They're false teachers if they um, try to get you to worship other gods. That's right. So it's very obvious that don't, don't get sidetracked by even if, if signs or wonders might, which often with, with true prophets would have been a validating uh, factor for a true prophet, but a true prophet would be teaching true things uh, about the one true God, leading people to worship God rightly, and then they do signs and wonders to authenticate their message. Here you have individuals who they have these signs and wonders, but their instruction, their influence is to worship false gods. And so they are clearly false prophets, and so they are to be dealt with. Now here, how, why does God allow this to take place? Why does God allow these false prophets to do these signs and wonders? but then to, um, and those signs and wonders don't match up with their false message. Why does God allow this? It's to test them. That's right. So, so this test shows that the genuineness of their faith. If, if they're loyal to their God, they are not going to be enticed to go and worship other things. Their devotion to God will be demonstrated by right worship, faithfulness to God's commands. And so God allows these tests so that they can authenticate their faith. They can know that they love the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul. And so I think you'd be encouraged to just in verse 4 to, to look at the verbs, well really just to look at the, uh, the covenantal words that, that are used here to describe the people of God in their loyal love for, for God, in their, their devotion to God. Look at, look at the verbs that are listed uh, just in four. So um, Moses uses other verbs throughout Deuteronomy and throughout the Pentateuch, but here this is the longest list of, of just faithful covenantal uh, action verbiage here of what it looks like to love the Lord and serve him only. Verse four says, you shall walk after the Lord your God, fear him, keep his commandments, obey his voice, serve him, and hold fast to him. And so just, just great instruction here to think of what it looks like. Those who love the Lord with all their heart and with all their soul, those are the those who are going to obey him, who are going to cling fast to him, who are going to hold fast to the Lord their God.
And so in verse four, just look at those verbs again. Walk after the Lord, fear him, keep his commandments, obey his voice, serve him, and hold fast to him. Those are are the true worshipers of God. Uh, One second, let me just go ahead and then finish that section then. So then in verses five and six, here's what is to take place to those who are not characterized by verse four because they've been teaching, these false teachers are teaching them to do the exact opposite here, not to be loyal to their God. Verse five says, but that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So here's my question real quick about this because there is, there's interesting takeaways even for us in our New Testament worship to recognize the danger of false teaching. Um, but if you're thinking in the Old Testament with Israel, what, how were, what were the Israelites to do with false teachers? Put him to death. That's right. Okay. Is false teaching a serious issue in the church? Uh, in the New Testament church, what, uh, what are churches supposed to do about false teaching? Call them out. Call, that's right. You, you're going to confront false teaching. You're, gonna, you're going to remove them from your midst, but you're not going to stone them to death, right? And so you're seeing there was, there is a, there's, discontin- the, there's a distinction between how Israel as a nation uh, was to treat false teachers there to remove the influence and there's this radical amputation that would take place where they were to kill the false teacher in the church today false teaching is a very serious thing and it is to be dealt with but um it's not uh the death penalty for a false teacher you treat them as an unbeliever you remove them from your midst you, you read of even what church discipline is to look like in Matthew chapter 18, but it is very much not the same thing that Israel was called to and how they were to deal with false teaching. So you see, um, you know, an, the, our immutable God, who is a God of truth, who cannot lie, that false teaching is a very big deal. But in Israel, how did you treat false teachers? They were to be killed in the church, how do you deal with false teachers? They are to be removed from your midst. Uh, let me just read an example real quick of this, and then I, I've seen several hands up. I think we'll probably be able to answer some questions today, but look at, uh, just in First Timothy, as Paul's writing, uh, he, he refers to some of, of those who have been removed from the midst, uh, from the midst of the congregation. First uh, Timothy chapter 1 uh, verse 18, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may uh, learn not to blaspheme. So the sin of Hymenaeus and Alexander was that they were blaspheming God. They were, and, and they have been removed from the midst. They have, they've been handed over to Satan. And so I, I, I'm kind of trying to like land here for just a couple minutes is because there's even movement in certain circles of uh, not uh, currently, 
right, of, of kind of seeing the church and, and Christians um, behaving like this theocratic nation Israel uh, was in the Old Testament. And so in the, there would be calls to, to, to seek out Christian nations. And so then, then nations would then have the authority to even deal with false teaching. And so, so I've even, we've, we've heard examples of, uh, you know, instruction that would be given that, yeah, it would be right for a nation to, to um, have an authority over the church and then to even as a nation to take action against false teaching or lazy pastors or, you know, like, so, so nations having authority over the church and almost nations acting like the, the theocratic um, instruction that is given to Israel. And so that, that's so, so problematic on so many levels because if you're thinking of delegated authority from God, God has delegated authority in the church to these spiritual issues and they're not given the sword uh, in the church. They're given church discipline is that, that disciplinary tool, not the sword. And so back in Israel, you know, they, they would have had, the, they were obeying God to um, put to death false teachers because that was what they were commanded as God's chosen nation to put to death these false teachers. But in the church, we take false teaching seriously, but we are distinct from Israel. And so there's very much a different response to false teachers. We remove them from our midst. We do not stone them. Okay, so uh, Go ahead. You had your hand up first, and then I talked for like 10 minutes after you had your hand up. It's interesting to me that God teaches the same concepts that God teaches out of John, where they want to hear the signs, they want to see the wonders, but they don't want to hear the message, and so they kill Jesus. And so they kind of reverse engineer it. But they always, that was part of the culture was to look for a sign because they rejected Christ's message. Boy, yeah, thank you. So that's, that's even great to think through. What's more powerful here, um, the signs and wonders or, the, or verse four, um, enabled by the Holy Spirit, individuals who walk after the Lord, fear him, keep his commandments, obey his voice, serve him, hold fast to him. That's work that only God can do in uh, a regenerate heart. Um, signs and wonders, you know, those, that, those things that also only God can allow. But, but yeah, you're right. So it's like people were attracted to signs and wonders. They weren't as attracted to loyal, faithful, obedient worship of God, um, loving the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul. Yeah, Lee? I was just, uh, not to sidetrack, but is there a complication for these people who are actually accurately prophesying or dreaming dreams of, like, the source of those? Like, the, the source of being correct? So, it does say that uh, God allowed this uh, in chapter 13. So, so the and, and the reason he allows it is for the Lord your God is testing you to know. So, I guess, it, I don't know if I'm understanding your question rightly, but it is interesting to know that... Um, there would have been, I think sometimes we might be a little too dismissive of some of the, the signs and wonders to just assume that they were staged or something, you know, but, but there would be false worship where there are signs and wonders that are taking place, whether it's demonic activity or just the things that under God's sovereign hand he has allowed. And so I do think that you would have 
been able to very much recognize that these signs and wonders may have been able to be authenticated, but what was also authenticated was their false message. And so that's why they were false teachers. I think the, the key is too on that is that it's not the experience, it's the truth. If you can have your experience, you say, well, this happened, this happened, this happened. But the question is, was truth upheld in it? And then in these passages, truth was not held up because they're taking you away from God. That's right. So truth trumps the experience. Yeah, very good. And so even when you see somebody has a dream, just, <coughs> just look for the error. I mean, from the Word of God, what's, what's the er their error? I mean, people can say the right things, but is it, I mean, they can have these experiences, but are they saying the right things? Hmm. Yeah, Jim. Sure. See, one thing, one of the reasons that false teaching in the church is more insidious is that they purport to not turn people away from God. What they mm. want to do, they're, they're saying that, yeah, we're still worshiping God, but we're going to do it in a false. We're going to do it in a They won't tell you it's false, but you see what I'm saying? So, and one of the, I have a theory about why they were killed in the Old Testament and not in the New Testament. The Spirit of God was not on those people in the Old Testament. They could be persuaded one way or the other simply by whether or not the weather changed when they were supposed to. There are many churches nowadays where people who are, who are indwelt by the Spirit of God will stand for false teaching. They will remove them. There's no need to kill them. They know what's going on. They can just, get, they can just put them out of their midst. In Israel, they were trying to actually turn them from God and... And it was very influential. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you are seeing very much with Israel, man, they, they are not going to thrive surrounded by ungodly influence. They, they have to be distinct. They have to be holy. They have to be set apart. They're not going to be able to have these influences around them. And so they must be purged because the influence is going to lead them astray. And so here, this category, put to death, verse five. And um, that, that'd be a... a it's important to be obedient to this. It would have been tough to put them to death, but I'll tell you a more emotional category for the, for the Israelites would be, what if the person leading you astray is a family member? Surely we can be lenient there because of the emotional attachment of a brother or a son or a, a mother of your son. Or uh, let's, let's read it. Verse six, what about family members? Deuteronomy 13, six. If your brother the son of your mother or your son or your daughter or the wife you embrace or your friend who is as your own soul entices you secretly saying, let us go and serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known. Some of the gods of the peoples who are around you, whether near you or far off from you, from the one end of the earth to the other, you shall not yield to him. Or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him, but you shall kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. You shall stone him to death with stones, because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and all Israel shall hear and fear and never again do any such wickedness as this among you. Okay, it's not surprising to me if, if you read through this and, and you're somewhat just shocked 
by the response. So let's start at the end and then move back again. What is, what is the end result of such um, decisive, um, God-centered um, action? The fruit is what you read in verse 11. And all Israel shall hear and fear and never again do any such wickedness as this among you. So you're seeing that, um, that that's, the, that's the aim here, that uh, is family that leads you to worship God falsely. Uh, you got to take the same radical action with them. And the motivation here is to ensure that Israel will hear and fear and never again do such wickedness. So then walking back through, what is the instruction? Even if a family member comes and influences you to go and worship falsely, uh, what are they not to do? What, what are they to avoid with, with such family members' temptations? Don't, don't give an ear to it. That's right. What, what might they be tempted to do uh, in addition to just giving an ear to it? Conceal. That's right. Like, oh man, shh. Like, yeah, don't, 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 don't say that again. Right. Cover up, conceal. Um, what, what if you are emotionally attached and you, what if you are? This is your family member, someone whom you are dear to, someone who you love. The temptation would be to, in it, to respond emotionally rather than loyally to God, faithfully to God, would be to respond even emotionally. And so, so I think you're even seeing that warning here when you look in verse eight, nor shall, your eye, now, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him. So don't give an, an ear to it. Don't be enticed by it. Don't emotionally respond, just obediently react the way that God has commanded you to do. And so you're seeing here what loving the Lord your God with all your heart looks like. So you're going to love God um, preeminently. Uh, so you even would see similar you know, parallels of what this loyalty to God looks like in the New Testament, even in regards to family relationships. And so we love God supremely. Uh, and so if you were to, you know, look in Luke 14, and also even in Jesus' instruction about when, he, when he's talking about what love for God looks like, and, and, and it can't be that you, you love your brother or your father or mother more than you love God. Uh, love for God is first. And so here's what that loyal love for God looks like uh, when your family member influences you to worship God falsely. You kill him, verse 9, you shall kill him and your hand shall be first against him to put him to death. And so the response is clear what to do. And, and the fruit of it is that it will lead them to hear and fear. And again, think of, think of what that looked like even in the New Testament with what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. When you're thinking so that those will hear and fear, just if, if you want to look over at Acts 5, I'll just read 
couple verses from, from that event. And just listen for that hear and fear kind of dynamic here. Verse 5 of Acts 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. Verse 11, um, after describing what happened with Sapphira. Um, Verse 10 says, immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So you're seeing for, for Israel, the same type of hearing and fearing was to take place so that loyal worship was what, um, was characterized by the people of God uh, so that they would hear and fear that they would love the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul. Okay, so that's that second group of people. If you, if you, have, if you have a false teacher, remove him, purge him. He's to be stoned. Family member, don't give ear to it and they are to be killed. Uh, the third group is a neighboring city, but uh, there was a question up, I think, or a hand, yes. Comment, I- a New Testament application here, when we have a family member who comes out of the closet, many Christians respond by thinking, well, I'm going to be more merciful than God is. I'm going to change my theology for my loved one. I, I think that's the application today. That's the temptation. What a, thank you for so pointing that out to think that, that you're seeing, if I... If we were saying one of the temptations would be to re- emotionally respond where you kind of like compromise out of, well, well I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love them better than God loves them by, by doing un- something that God would not do. I'm going to tolerate sin. Or, you know, I think what, so yeah, powerful testament there to say that. that yeah, absolutely. That is, what, um, that is what the temptation is today um, when you have a family member who lives a sinful lifestyle is to accommodate that sinful lifestyle and just say, well, I'm just going gonna, gonna, gonna to love them in spite of what God's commands say. So yeah, very, there, there's lots of New Testament application for, for so much of what we're reading here in God's law. But we, but we are told to love them. We're told to treat them as unbelievers and we don't hate unbelievers. Uh, thank you for coming. What them. I'm saying, I was putting, yeah, I'm saying what they're share, saying. Yeah, but we That's share right. truth with them. Yes. And what we're inclined to do, which is, I think what Grace is saying, is we're inclined to redefine more truth. Right. And say that we love them. And that's not love. Right. So yes. I just want to make sure that people don't think that we, we, we don't shun completely. I mean, it's not, maybe we do, but that's not the, you, you still love and pray for this person because they are acting like and probably are unbelievers and you treat them as unbelievers. These are great comments, important. You know, I thought like Christ that mm. I, have, I have come to cause enmity between family members. Uh, I mean, and, and this is the example and we have to live in that conflict to love a person and tell them they're wrong. Mm-hmm. It's hard. And also a good word. It's it is hard and it's important and it. And it's really hard. Yeah. Hmm. Really appreciate everyone's comments today. Jump down to verse twelve. This third category. What if it's like, it's not you. It's not your family. It's not. It's not. A, 
It's, it's a neighboring city. Verse 12, if you hear in one of your cities, which the Lord your God is giving you to dwell there, that certain worthless fellows, just pause there for a second, throughout the, New, the Old Testament, the, this word is used to describe certain activities, the, the worthless fellows. And so you, you see those who bear false witness, those who practice sexual sin, those who undermine God's authority, those who undermine God's delegated authority, those who plot evil, those who speak destructive speech. That's, that's where this word is used to describe that activity. And here in chapter 13, take note, these worthless men are those who entice God's people to worship falsely. So these worthless fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city saying, let us go and serve other gods, um, which you have not known. Well, um, you're not just to act rashly and just assume you're omniscient and say, I heard such and such, so I'm going to go destroy such and such. No, verse 14 says, then you shall inquire and make search and ask diligently. So you, you are seeing that this has to be thoughtfully and accurately and carefully um, researched. Uh, and behold, if it be true and certain that such an abomination has been done among you, you shall surely put the inhabitants of that city to the sword, devoting it to destruction. Um, if, if you are to go on and read what they're to do, this is the response to what they're to do to these, these pagan cities as they enter into the land. This is, that, this is the right response to um, re- remove the Canaanites from the land. And so here you're seeing if those who have come in begin to act like these Canaanites, we're going to treat them like Canaanites and they're going to be destroyed entirely just as, as those who occupied the land prior. And so the, the same radical, important action is to take place. Um, and, and so let me just go down then to the end. Let's, um, let's just go to verse 18. So they were to destroy these, uh, this false worship, destroy um, the city entirely. None of the devoted things shall stick to your hand. You know, again, man, watch out for influence. Don't keep anything. Don't let it stay with you. Don't let it stick to your hand. That the Lord, so that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy and have compassion on you and multiply you as he swore to your fathers. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping all his commandments that I am commanding you today and doing what is right in the sight of the Lord your God. All of this instruction is for their good. Uh, Moses is giving them these warnings so that they will worship God rightly, so that God will bless them, so that God will be with them. And all of what you just read, um, that he will show um, mercy, have compassion. He will multiply you as he swore to your fathers. So, so their call is to obey, um, worship God rightly, and worship him, him in the right way. Do not be influenced by this false worship that surrounds you. Okay, so then I just want to, as I said, go to think carefully about worshiping God rightly as new covenant believers. What a blessing it is to be in Christ And so I just wanted to read verses 19 through 25 of Hebrews 10. And we'll end here to to think of our ability to approach God rightly and to worship him rightly is only because of Christ. And so verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... 
by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So when we think about it, we would be presuming upon God to just think we can approach God on our own terms. It's, it's, uh, it's worthless to, to approach God it's dangerous to approach God the wrong way. And, and we're told here uh, that weighty reality is something that we can even enter into with confidence. If we are in Christ, if we're trusted in Christ, we are, um, our sins have been forgiven and Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us. We are, at, we are right with God and we have access to God. And so verse 19 says, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, by the new and living way. Uh, You know, we draw near to God uh, because of Christ. So what a a wonderful uh, promise, even as we we explore how important and how careful right worship was in the Old Testament. We think the same thing is true of how important right worship is for us as a church. But we come to God um, through Christ the Son. And so we approach him boldly. We draw near to him because we are counted righteous in Christ. So um, we'll end there today and, and look forward to continuing our study of Deuteronomy next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for, for Jesus Christ, for our Savior. He came to save his people from their sins. And so we just delight in redemption has been accomplished as our sins have been dealt with at the cross and we've been credited with the righteousness of Christ so that we can approach you in the right way in our worship. And so we pray that as we come now into uh, the next hour uh, that we would worship you rightly, that we'd worship you according to your word, but pray that we would um, just delight in the fact that we can come before you because of Christ. Uh, So be glorified today through our worship. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.